0: Blog
1: talk Radio. Welcome to the Partner Running Show, a show for runners and soon-to-be runners from around the world, as we talk all things running. The Partner Running Show is hosted by Couple on the Run, Sue and Andrew O'Brien, and proudly brought to you by PartnerRunning.com and the Partner Runner Magazine. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the Partner Running Show on this uh, 10th or ninth of February 2015, no matter where you are in the world. I'm Andrew O'Brien, and I'm here in the Partner Running Studio with my wonderful co-host, Sue. How are you going, Sue?
0: I'm going very well.
1: So uh, apologies to people, we've been missing for the last couple of weeks. First of all, lots has been happening. We were off to, I think the last time we, we were live, we were on our about to be on our way to Hong Kong for the Hong Kong 100, which we successfully did and we have got a I think my next week's show might be our sort of special and review of that Um but we, didn't, we were sort of in transit didn't get back in time for the show directly after that so that was week one and then uh week two well you you came home with a bad bad a bad, bad
0: northern hemisphere flu yes so, which uh, completely floored me
1: couldn't talk very well let alone much else so that was two weeks in a row and then Mm. tragically uh, your mother passed away last week so that sort of became three weeks in a row so three strikes and we're back
0: we are back yes
1: yes so uh, that just seems like a long time I've sort of forgotten my whole routine and everything but yes
0: yes it does seem that but we're we're back on the air and
1: uh, back running yes so hopefully it's like a couple of weeks of uh, not running because we've been on busy with work or injured or out Mm. or something and Mm. that uh, bit slow to get started but once you're back into it it all comes back to you quickly so our focus for today's show is uh, we've sent recently a series of questions for some people putting together uh, an e-book for, for uh, marathons and uh, oh, what better way than to take their questions and work through them some well, most of them over the particularly popular questions, some which we talk about quite often and some not so often, um, and some with slightly different takes. So that's going to be our our focus. But, of course, we are also going to uh, have our regular segments. We have a bit of a look at the news, a bit of a snapshot of what's been happening, and then uh, good to have another Ask Sue. We haven't heard, heard the, uh, <laughs> the Ask Sue for a couple of weeks, and, of course, we'll finish up having a bit of a look at what's on... In the weeks ahead. Yep. Okay. Over the shoulder. A quick review of last weekend's running.
0: Well, as you mentioned, we had actually uh, missed out on a few of uh, the the weeks prior, looking at uh, some of the, the past news. So, just sort of probably the most relevant news to have a look at some of the the things that have happened over the last week or so in running. And couple of marathons taking part in the U.S. that are independent of the rock and roll but based on the same rock and roll concept. This is an interesting one they're branding themselves as music half marathons rather than rock and roll half marathons and been very successful and organizers have been thrilled at the turnout and the speed with which a lot of these events book out so that's quite that's quite startling. Um, in fact, one in Sarasota last weekend, the concept of getting people participating was what they were really focusing on. 16 musical bands along the way, again, sort of we have heard of this concept before, but got 2,000 entrants um, and the race was closed due to you know, huge popularity. And already they have opened entries for next year and extended their target to 3,000 plus. So, uh, an interesting way to um, try and extend a concept of something that is already successful in a different way. A uh, little bit more news, I suppose, on the elite front that the winner, Emily Chepkuria of uh, Kenya, has been stripped of her Calgary win due to doping. And this is yet another Kenyan marathon runner that has uh, been found to be using either steroids or. Um, EPO, one of those other blood doping style drugs, and it is just a sad indication because once again, once one or two get pinged, it casts doubt and dispersion upon the whole group. So again, it's just adding fuel to the fire for a while that there is not much regulation amongst the Kenyan runners, so it's sad to see, uh, you know, more of these athletes that we admire and think as being miracles of nature or dedication to training being found out to not be capable of uh, actually doing that on their own steam someone who does seem to be capable of doing this on her own steam a world record set for the 80 plus age group in the half marathon Um, Anne Garrett of the US set the world record in the surf city half marathon of two hours and 13 minutes 23 pretty slick time for an 81 year old and Anne only started running nine years ago so maybe that's why her legs are still fairly fresh in terms of running she hasn't uh, had the injuries to cope with that many of us had oh would have had by 80 after you know tens of years of running but just great to see older athletes out there running some other athletes out there running that you might be surprised to see. If you're taking part in the Tokyo Marathon, and this was announced this week too, that officials are sending police officers to run the event to prevent terrorism on the course um, and to provide the runners with a feeling and sensation of safety. There are about 36,000 runners that take place in the to- take part in the Tokyo Marathon, and with ISIS. Um, killing or murdering two Japanese nationals. And then after the Charlie Hebdo incident, the Japanese uh, organisers have decided that they will try and create a, a greater feeling of safety for runners out on the course. The squad of 64 police divided into eight pairs, uh, oh, sorry, eight groups of eight are going to be assigned to each 10-kilometre block within the marathon and run beside the runners or on the outskirts of the runners they will be wearing head cameras which will send live footage back to uh, headquarters to monitor any suspicious activity within the crowd or runners on course so there you go just something else that the Japanese have started to think about and we do know friends that have participated in the Tokyo Marathon and been astounded at the level of organization and uh, behind the scenes that goes into making this event a meticulously planned event. So that is uh, something else to consider. Uh, sadly, the Sedona Marathon was was cancelled on the weekend due to Forest Services closing the road. After two days of rain, uh, the road was rend- decided it was too slippery to allow volunteers and emergency services to set up their camps and for vehicles to access in case of an emergency. I don't know how slippery in what context that is, but that was the official word, and organisers just had to bow their heads and say, Well, if that's what Forest Services have decided, but it does seem quite strange, but that was the official word. Uh, a news article that was across the, the news wire about, and I'm going to pronounce her surname incorrectly, Maria Conchicao, um, who is based. Well, actually, she's from Portugal, but she's based in Dubai. There's a big article about her in one of the newspapers. She holds three world records for different endurance events, but she is one of the 35 runners taking part in the Seven Quest Challenge. And part of our weekend of running, in terms of results over the last weekend, was participating in the um, Carlton Classic Marathon around Princess Park in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, which was the first of the seven quest runners, seven marathons in seven days in seven continents. And the reason I mentioned this article about Maria is that we actually ran with Maria for a while and uh, she was pretty slick runner and looking as though she was out to do a good job. She hopes to raise $100,000 for Bangladeshi kids. Sponsors are meeting all of her costs for participating in this quest. Um, she said that that, for her, encompassed an economy class ticket, so she was hoping that she could manage to get some sleep because that seemed to be an important factor for these runners doing the seven marathons with long flights of up to 14 hours, then very quick turnover time, two hours after they arrive before they start running. So we wish all the best to Maria uh, and the other runners participating in the um, seven quest challenge. But I just thought that was quite interesting that the article was on her met her she was one of the ones we ran with yes mm. so again three endurance world records uh, so I think she's probably going to be sounds like fairly experienced as opposed to some of the other runners participating in this particular seven challenge that were relatively well, very inexperienced runners that were trying to raise money through charity but perhaps without the running experience that would have helped them with the task
1: yes it's an interesting concept that uh seven in seven seven continents
0: seven days yes yes and from yeah wildly varying temperature conditions as well uh, from down you know Antarctica then up to um, Abu Dhabi that sort of temperature as well Um, Melbourne very very lucky the forecast had been a week out about 35 degrees Celsius which would have been a very warm start for the runners and we were blessed on the weekend with overcast temperatures maximum temperature ended up being 21 degrees celsius and well there might have been some sun for runners later in the day but for participants such as ourselves that were out there we could start any time from nine o'clock to 11 o'clock we had a two-hour window to start and uh, we were able to get our run completed before the sun even shone but there would have been some sun for these runners but not 35 degrees
1: so Melbourne, just I suppose just the mm-hmm. name We've I mean, now we've talked about it. Uh, race one is in Melbourne. Race two, Abu Dhabi. Race three, Paris. Race uh, four, Tunisia. Four. Race four is Tunisia. Uh, race five, New York. Race six, Punta Arenas in Chile. And race seven, King George Island, Antarctica. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, there you go. There you go. So long, that.
0: long legs of flight for a lot of the situation. And running, running the marathon, within two hours of landing in some instances
1: it it is interesting that um well, they put on this loop event in Melbourne that we participated in and a lot of the conversation amongst the local runners who were sort of coming out to support and run with them was what did you think about the idea of the triple seven quest you know would you run would you want to run seven marathons in seven continents in seven days and with one or two exceptions, you thought it was wonderful. The, the I think the overwhelming tone of the conversation was no. Um, if I wanted to run seven,
0: seven, seven,
1: seven marathons in seven days or something of that ilk, then that's that's a not, that's sort of ticks a box. I wouldn't mind doing that, but I'd just go and do one of the like a mainly marathons type US thing where you were sort of you know an hour apart, state by state, and you've actually got to Experience an area and a culture in some detail um, and I'd love to go and run you know seven marathons around the world and whatever else but to do it in seven days where it's it's just hotel taxi your bus run restaurant hotel airline <laughs> whatever yeah um, you know with varying reports of I think the cheapest you could do it would be um,
0: Say so about twenty something.
1: About thousand. twenty, but as I'm mm. seeing I'm just off the website here. One of the bloggers is saying, um, "Oh, yes, this was the other event that where they were like about forty thousand US." So reports of between twenty thousand and forty thousand US to do it. Mm. Um, if I had that much money to spend on a couple of things, I think I'd want to stop at these places and experience and and whatever else well
0: yeah and a lot of the runners we spoke to during the event uh, talking about some of the events and marathons they'd run they'd coupled them with a holiday or with checking out of the location and that seemed to be an overwhelming experience for people uh, such as Luke that we'd spoken to that had gone to Chiang Mai or to Kilimanjaro it was spending time in the location and that's why oh, I want to go for a holiday here What's on? What's something I could run? Um, Whereas with this concept, it's pretty much you don't get to see anything, as you said. So it's not, it's two different concepts of running, why you do it, the frequency or
1: the travel experience. Yep, Uh, each for their own. And I think that's Mm. the beauty of it is there are so many uh, different scenarios. And of course, you would never say never, you know, if I uh, one day found myself in a position where I had, well, for two of us, I had a lazy 80,000 US that I didn't need, um, then maybe zipping around the world in seven days to run run a marathon in seven places would be of interest to me. But at the moment, I could could think I could use my dollars and my running enjoyment in lots of other ways.
0: Well, or as in Maria's case that we were talking about, her sponsors had paid for her to participate and she had said that she chooses these endurance challenges because they are better ways of raising charity dollars. So if I'm saying to my, you know... Bequesters or whatever. Um, hey, I'm doing this wonderful challenge. They're more inclined to go for something like that than, oh, I'm just I'm running the New York Marathon. Help me sponsor something. And it if that works, sounds
1: out there, then that's a good reason. Yeah, to do it. exactly. I'm not. I'm not, no, I'm no, not, no, I'm not saying, saying, saying it's a, a bad idea. I'm just saying it's a different different mm. people. For some people, it's very attractive, and for others, not not so attractive. All right. On that note, we should keep on moving along. Ask Sue. Do you have a question you'd like answered? Why not send us a message, a tweet, or post your question on the Partner Running Facebook page. Take it away, Sue.
0: Today's Ask Sue comes in response to a question from a runner in Southern Hemisphere Summer, although this question is also very applicable to northern hemisphere winter now the question arose from an endurance athlete who was trying to really put in some long hours of training in southern hemisphere summer uh, primarily based in northern New South Wales and the concept being that the weather is so hot the forecast temperature is so hot that when do I start running So in order to try and get a four hour run or in her particular case, it was training for an ultra marathon distance. But she needed to put in a five to six hour run. But let's just say, for example, it's a a two to three hour run even or probably a three hour run. How early do you need to get up to beat the heat? Well, with the concept of some of the forecasts of being into the mid 20s at 5 a.m., do I get up at 3 a.m.? and it starts to really then intrude on our quality of life, like how early do we have to get up to fit in uh, a run before conditions get so extreme that it becomes dangerous and uh, it actually works negatively against our training to go out and run. Then on the, the other side of it, I normally fit in my, my shorter training runs at lunchtime, but lunchtime or immediately after work as two options, The temperature is up into the mid to high 30s or even 40 degrees so what what can I do in the northern hemisphere it's snowy it's freezing cold and it can also be not very good training not very appealing mentally or physically to go out in these conditions to run and the answer to the question of how do I fit in some training maybe not the long runs but maybe considering the long runs is to attack the treadmill it's not our first option but it is one of those facilities available to runners in extreme temperatures if it's too hot outside the treadmill is often set in an air-conditioned gym environment and the same with the other side of the coin if it's freezing cold and snowing uh, outside that the treadmill is set up in a temperate gym environment a lot of people regard the treadmill as the dreadmill and find it extremely boring that it doesn't give them any motivation to be out there for their workouts. And despite headphones, listening to music, trying to watch TV to help pass the time, it just is monotonous, I'm somewhat the same. But some of the suggestions for using the treadmill to give yourself an efficient, motivating workout range from varying the incline and the speed to starting to work with intervals. So in today's Ask Sue, if you have to use the treadmill, if it's one of those options for you that your weather conditions are not suitable, I've got three options for you to try and create an interesting workout for yourself. The first one, most treadmills have a distance covered. So why not try running some intervals on your treadmills? They don't have to be super fast because that's not exactly the safest thing to try. But why not try varying the speed on your warm up on your uh, treadmill workout? So have a warm up for about a kilometre, but then start doing some say maybe 500 meter intervals of faster and slower and it's up to you how many repeats you do so if your your workouts going to be a 45 minute workout if it's going to be an hour or so on just trying to put in some variation in speed for interest and also to use your muscles a little bit better as well the second one is a progression style workout on your treadmill so you start off with one kilometre easy to sort of warm up but then you start increasing the speed by potentially about 10 seconds per kilometer so you can sort of program that onto your treadmill so it does get a little bit faster and then you could pyramid it back down as well and uh, finish up with an easy kilometer so it's something to rather than just go into a zone but actually think about the way you're running and, and try and maybe pick up some speed and back it off as well. Now the third workout you might consider on the treadmill to create that variation hill climbs. So after your one to two kilometre warm-up or so, maybe a little bit of speed increases just to sort of change your stride length, start uh, putting up the incline on your treadmill. Um, It'll have the the numbers, the demarcations going up and down and then maybe do sort of 500 metres to 800 metres as an incline up, simulating an outdoor hill, take it down again flat running for a while maybe even three minutes four minutes in between then go up again do a little bit more of a hill interval so you can create some interest rather than just going oh here I go plug it in go for 45 minutes go for 60 minutes and just get lazy with your technique maybe develop some bad habits so that's my ask Sue for today if conditions are not suitable for you to run outside consider a treadmill workout as a substitute but also put in some variation into your treadmill workouts rather than just treating it purely as uh, the dreadmill of just getting started and blindly or mindlessly running. Really think about your running technique, which is a safer way as well.
1: That was the Ask Sue segment of the Partner Running Show. If you have a question for Sue please post it on the Partner Running Facebook page or email us at radio at running.com Well, our feature segment today is on popular running questions. And, uh, we were sent recently uh was while we are away actually a series of questions that they'd asked us to respond to so people putting together an e book for uh, for marathoners and so we we'll would take their questions and um work through them as part of today's show so under pretty much three headings the the uh, pre marathon so how to train and prepare uh, what to do on the race day and of course then how to recover. So we'll just quickly run through each of the questions and uh, so will get your sort of thoughts on uh, how to go. So the first question, jumping straight in, is how do you mentally prepare to train for a marathon?
0: Well, I think that we could put this into um, a couple of different categories. And the first one being getting a vision of why you're doing this, of what, Your success strategy is going to be like, um, you know, what you're actually hoping to achieve by and uh, achieve by participating in this
1: huge endeavour,
0: and just getting clear about why you're doing it.
1: So you're going to to be doing it for yourself. uh, This classic thing where your mate says, "I'm going to do the marathon. You want to do it with me?" And you kind of, you know, got the beer goggles on. You go, "Yeah, yeah," and then gets training time. It's well, it's not really your thing. So Mm -hmm. it's got to be all. You got to really want to do it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, you got to really have an idea of why you're doing it, whether it's a personal reason, whether it's uh, a family reason that's motivating enough for you to do.
1: Yeah, or it could be a fundraiser.
0: It could be a fundraiser. All of those exactly those that. Yeah.
1: Reasons to run, but you got to have a good reason to, to mm. because if you don't, if you're not keen to do the training. You're not going to do the event. Exactly. Uh, probably other parts of that is getting a little bit more. Probably the next level is. Um, yeah, you know, being clear about your strategy, how you're, going to, how you're going to train. So once you've got a sort of a path, gives you a bit of confidence, a bit of certainty. That that certainly helps prepare mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, exploring all of the scenarios of what can yeah, happen. What what happens if you do? You know, have a, a plan in
0: place of what do I do if I get injured along the way? If my work demands me, that mean that I'm going to have to meet miss a couple of sessions. Um, if illness strikes and I have to miss, um, just having something. In plan or in mind of what can go wrong and what you do about it but it doesn't have to be drop the bundle
1: yep I think those things they give you both confidence they give you focus uh, they give you some sort of you know, sense of you know what you're doing and that you're on the right path so they're all important and mm-hmm. probably the last one is something that that probably comes up a bit within on race day as well as being also very important and that is breaking it down
0: mm mm-hmm. yep just achievable milestones along the way that give you the confidence that uh Tra- you that you are I suppose improving physically with your fitness if are distance milestones or speed time st- milestones along the way as well and so they can be real confidence boosters but also then it can be a bit of a wake-up call with things if you're not putting in perhaps enough training that you should pick it up a little bit from a certain point out to
1: okay so that's a few things to help you mentally prepare to, to get the training underway and to get through it the next question uh, you that they've sent to us is do you have any tips for getting your breathing into a rhythm and, and how do you manage a stitch so it's two questions in one first of all yeah, this is a, a question I get a lot from people in our run groups uh, new runners you know how do I get my breathing right um, what's your thoughts I'll give you my answer in a minute
0: yeah a, a lot of people to me with breathing a lot of people focus on the I've got to get the breath in and take big gasping breaths in whereas potentially they should be focusing on breathing out so for me, with with breathing rhythm and getting into a steady sort of set with that is to focus on breathing out, automatic response within our bodies that we inhale to get air in, but often we hold our breath or don't exhale properly. So for me, it's switching the focus from breathing in to breathing out to help with that rhythm. And
1: the thing that I've, um, I've found incredibly successful in helping people with the breathing problem is just to completely ignore it. Uh, I think I think breathing is often a problem for new runners where they're thinking they need to be doing something and they're really trying hard to get their breathing so they're really working on it rather than sometimes if you just ignore it maybe it's you're having a chat maybe you're thinking about something different but just forget it and and you know what happens you just start doing it Mm -hmm. Um, so it it kind of happens naturally so it's almost the case of if you're working on it too hard, you can stop it working well. But if you almost ignore it and let's just let it happen, then the body takes over and and just helps you you breathe particularly properly. Now, as you get to the advanced level, as you say, uh, those focusing and those techniques can can really help make a difference if you're, you're doing a fast 10k kind of thing. But for most of us. Letting it happen naturally is is a good way to go. And the second aspect here is stitch. stitch.
0: Mm. Well, if you as as you get fitter, stitches become less common. A couple of reasons that you do get more comfortable with your breathing, so your breathing is more efficient, and you're not getting that deprivation of breath that can cause muscles to stitch up around the abdomen. So you're less inclined to get stitch uh, with fitness increase. But again, it's little pockets of air that get stuck that cause pain and discomfort, focusing on completely exhaling, letting the air out completely um, is a way of trying to remove and leaning in towards the stitch, um, rubbing the area, increasing the blood flow, trying to get the circulation moving through the muscle area helps as well. And there's one that we've got written down about doing sit-ups if you are desperate. And part of that desperation is, it's a more concentrated contraction of the abdominal muscles rather than leaning in or rubbing that can sometimes unlock that stitch and release the muscle tension or the muscle fibers that are trapped causing the pain and discomfort. So sit-ups one, if you get desperate, just give it a try, what can it do? And it works a treat. It's amazing the number
1: of people that we've, uh, you're running along with somebody and say I've got a triple stitch. What I do? And you say get down and do some sit-ups. And they look at you like you're, you're an idiot. And then my, well, I've a few, a few occasions I've jumped on the ground and done it with them. And then they've got running. And then you know, 20 seconds later, they've looked at me like, mm. what's going on here? It worked. Yeah. Um. It's just a, it's a strange thing to do, but just if you want to, that If you want to get cycle. rid of it, mm. it certainly gets rid of it. Okay. Third question. Um, how many weeks or times a week, and times a week should you train before you can enter for a marathon? And what sort of distance should you be doing before you you're up for your marathon? So I'm I'm thinking there's there's at least two answers here. There's the minimalist like I've just got to do a marathon and I'm not a runner and I want to get to it, what's what what can be done? And then there's the well, this is the the more uh uh safer, easier, sustained and I think a better path to go. So first of all, going from scratch, you're in okay fitness but you're not a runner. What do you reckon?
0: Oh, I think you should really set yourself a, a six months target to try and get to a marathon distance. I think that potentially that that's you know, you've got to give yourself time. You don't no, want to take
1: on something a month in a, in the future. I think um, to, before you enter the marathon, you really want to be comfortably running probably three times a week. You want to be doing the 10K, and you want to have been having run for that for a good six months just to build your base, because if you go too fast, too quick, chances of getting injured are quite considerable. And also, you're trying to... Um, cram all your learning and all the excitement of going up and in distance and improving and learning into a very short space mm. of time so building that little bit of a base you know of a good six months and then as you say taking another six months to train for your marathon mm. is is a probably a you know if you're in reasonable fitness to start with is a good way through um, so that I think is is the guide if you're um, say, so you're a half marathoner and um you've been running them regularly, then really you're looking at sixteen weeks. Yeah.
0: You can pick it up. I've just
1: run a half marathon, I've had, had two weeks off, now I'm ready to train. What am I going to do? How long to a marathon? Sixteen weeks. Sixteen weeks, four lots of four, and you're there without you know, too much trouble at all. So a second part of this question, Sue, is um yeah, how far to run in, tra- in training as your long run and, and should you actually have run the marathon distance before race day? Well,
0: Look coaches are full of all different advice with this one and I think a lot does Relate to our speed of running as well if you're uh, a faster runner and you're a very competent runner Maybe you can achieve marathon distance in A three and a half hour, a three hour long run or a three and a half hour long run, within that space of time. But for fairly new runners or slower runners, a three and a half hour run is is probably only is going to take you about 28k. So time and and distance covered is really related to your experience and your speed in lots of ways. And some coaches do recommend going to marathon distance. their people before they get to the event but for others generally it's getting to about
1: that 80% of the distance so it's adequate it's a trade-off isn't it between Mm. uh, getting injured in training and Mm. getting your long run in so as a general principle long runs never longer than three hours yeah and if you're a sub three hour you know if you say if you're a two and a half hour marathoner then a three hour long slow run you're going to get the distance up yep. and it's going to be good for you for race day. If you're a new marathoner or um, you know, a four-hour type person, then going out and running for four or five hours uh, in your early marathoning days is only, is only going to up the risk of injury. Yeah. So it's sort of like, well, you know, you might struggle a bit in the last you know, 7 to 10k of the marathon in your early marathon days because you haven't got used to running that distance uh, it's better off to build up to getting used to that by doing a couple of marathons uh, each year than to be trying to cram it in in training now once you've got some runs on the board so to speak a bit more experienced um, then certainly you can go over distance a good way to do that I think is to do some 50k races so maybe after you've done a couple of marathons, you might do some 50k events, and then going back to the marathon becomes a shorter. It's a bit like you know if you've been doing half marathons, you go and race at 10. Endurance isn't your issue. Uh, you know, your speed and beholding it becomes your issue. So.
0: And I think most new runners we speak to, or new marathoners, tend to find that about the three hour run or the 30k, 32k is about where they can get to in training and fit in the time with their lifestyle and their body reasonably being able to cope, but then have a, a certain level of confidence that I can pick up the last distance on race day.
1: Okay, I next question race. is, uh, do you have any tips for avoiding or, and or managing injuries? Um, and yeah, so that's, that's the first part of the question.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think the, the big one, and we often harp about it, is getting the shoes right. And management of getting the shoes right meaning the right shoes for you for you individually as your build your running experience your running style etc and also keeping those shoes in a good state so it's sure they might be the right shoes for you but don't hang on to them for 5 years and say these are my favorite runners i had them fitted and i haven't changed them keep rolling your shoes over as they wear out as well as them being the right shoes for you so
1: shoes big one okay next one i think is rest days um you know, again, unless you're at the top of the top, and even then, I think a day's rest with some cross training is a good thing to do. But for most of us, you know running every second day uh, till you really know what you're doing and you've built up a good base is a really good guide for uh, avoiding injury. And mm-hmm. then, of course, then leads to so the the golden rule.
0: Oh, uh, the ten percent the rule, as we call it, not increasing your total distance per week by more than ten percent. And
1: that, that sort of kicks in once you're up to about ten or fifteen kilometres um, sort of a, a little bit different in the very very early days uh, and it's you know you'll always find people say oh but I haven't seen the research that proves it and I haven't either uh, I just know from our own experience that that's the best guideline going around and time and time again when you are talking to people that have got injured and you explore what they've been doing uh, time, you know it's a it's a common thread they're just too much too quick so mm. uh, use it as a good guide and then the second part of this question um, sort of follows it on because it I think the answer is um, or the, the question is what's your advice or tricks for injury recovery but many of these are also <coughs> about you know some of these are about injury prevention and so I think the first one is as we've said the 10% rule the every second day the massage and, and recovery yep. incorporating some walking maybe incorporating in particularly in long runs walk breaks which help your recovery and endurance building up they're all part of staying injury free and recovering but if you have got a specific injury so what's what's your suggestion
0: i think you need to look at the injury as an overall thing of how you can improve your muscles and body so whether that's doing some specific exercises weight training stability work or flexibility work to even out your body if you're If you tend to get calf strains look at the flexibility of your calves how you can manage that if you tend to get hamstring strains but not quad strains could you look at some hamstring strengthening when you're in a a healthy state so it's trying to balance your body I think Uh, if you've got a weakness try and work on improving the muscles around that weakness
1: and of course getting uh, at the first sign of injury getting uh, professional advice the physiotherapist and 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 trying to, if you can, find somebody who deals with sports people, particularly with runners, and make them your regular person. So they get to know you um, and you build a relationship, and that's a good way of help both working on prevention and cure of injuries. Okay, so next question here, Sue, on the uh, training for the marathon is Do you have any um, specific running gear or resources that you recommend for helping with training? And it's everything from. Shoes to apps, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, what your first? I think you said before. Well, we said shoes.
0: The sort of the the first port of call is getting your shoes right, but very close to the shoes are the socks that you wear to run in, and finding a pair of socks that is going to suit you. And we've all got different type, type shaped feet, as well as toes. All sorts of considerations, but. The part of the socks issue is getting sport socks or material in your socks that is used to coping with sweating, with increased swelling of the feet that's not going to predispose you to blisters or bunching of the socks or other issues that are going to prevent you from running that are really avoidable in the first place by getting some decent, another little thing that you spend a bit of money on getting right.
1: Yes, yeah, so get the feet right. Uh, next thing I think is is really then is the, the clothing. You want uh, run specifically so if you're in a really old cotton t-shirt it's going to chafe and hold, hold the moisture and all that sort of stuff. So there's lots of great shorts, tights um, singlets, t-shirts long tops. So if you're running in a particularly cold or a particularly hot climate then you want to accordingly uh, it's always good to have a cap or a visor some people love the sunglasses some not uh, the last part of this question then Sue is in terms of the equipment again if you're running in a place where you don't have lots of drink taps you might want to get either a, a, a hydro pack or a drink bottle to, mm. to carry or strap on but the the, the big question here is you know, do I have to have um, a GPS watch do I have to use apps? What what do I need there from a technology perspective? What's your bare minimum through to what what's nice?
0: Well, clearly, the, the bare minimum could be nothing at all, just running by feel, off you go. But that's not going to give you an indication unless you've pre-planned how far you're running, um, what terrain you're encountering, all of that sort of thing. So, again, it depends on the level of information that you feel is suitable for for your running. And it could be the bare minimum that you go out with a watch, time the distance, and then it's all about the, dis- the time, yep. sorry, rather not the distance of time that you run, but then if you do want to get more specific, the various apps that are applicable with your phones through to the the top-of-the-range GPS that's going to give you information about the elevation, the speed of each kilometre that you ran, and the terrain and up and down elevations that you covered. So lots of information available to us, or minimal
1: just going out for time following the watch. Yes, I think in this day and age, something like Map My Run as a good place of planning your courses, and the watch those two things for most people training for a program would be sort of like your entry-level requirements mm. and as you say you can get into your Garmin and other GPS watches that that give you all sorts of data and uh, Strava is another great website to log your training in and, and uh, think about and so there's a free option there with that as well okay so um, next one this is an interesting question I think and the one that that uh, often gets overlooked what uh, which type of terrain is uh, better for marathon training and why?
0: Well, a lot comes back to well, your race, I suppose, if it is your single big race of what are you training for, what surface is it going to be on. But allied to that as well is that the softer training surface that we can get on, the more kind it is to our bodies. So if you can run on even if your race is on a road if you can run on a softer gravel track um, for 80% of your running for instance it's going to predispose you to less impact injuries than it would if you were doing 80% of your running on concrete or bitumen so there is just that consideration if your runs on road then really try and put some experience of running on the road to prepare your legs for the impact shock. But otherwise, I, you know, my advice would be stay as soft as you can.
1: Yep. So in terms of there's a bit of a hierarchy, I suppose, in terms of it's it's grass, it's gravel, uh, it's track, it's bitumen, it's concrete, concrete and, mm. and depending on the area and whatever, sand is up there at the top of the... Very hard can be very hard. Whatever else, so um, grass can be a bit uneven. Try the gravel, depending on where you're at, can be. We're not talking here single track. We're talking a nice gravel sort of pathway or road. So, um, and I suppose the bottom line here is, for most of our training, we're about eighty percent on uh, gravel, and about twenty percent on the harder surfaces. But again, it does vary depending on the race that we 're targeting so mm. okay
0: one oh, of uh, the other mention is in terms of indoors or outdoors is treadmill is potentially well, last resort if conditions are just not suitable yep. but don 't do eighty percent of your running on treadmill
1: and I think the, the thing is if you know, if your race has got a lot of hills in it, then you want to find uh, terrain that 's got hills in it, you want to be doing right. hill training for that sort of thing um, and again the the surface, as we said okay uh what are effective uh day or night before practices for your race. So it's something which we talk a lot about and we, and we do have a whole programme here on what we call our ten day countdown and that's everything from getting your mind right to making your travel plans, uh picking up your pay list, getting your motivation happening. But when it gets down to the specifics here, it's really as a three day kind of pre race scenario, isn't it? So it starts mm. with getting your toenails done a few days before. So you don't clip them too tight the night before and cause some problems. Hydration, again, the, a bit of a trap is hydrating the night before and or the day before and it sort of goes through too quickly. So you want to sort of do the drip feed over a couple of days. Now food.
0: Yes, uh, is increasing the carbohydrate content of your food, not loading as in overloading and just eating too much. Uh, so that gradual change of the composition, not the quantity of what you're eating is the big one for carbo-loading.
1: So yeah, yes, yeah, so you spot on. And uh, sleeping the night before the night before, often the night before the race, we're nervous, we're, you know, Might hotel, early start, we're away, mm. etc. So if you get a good night of sleep two nights before, that's usually going to carry you in good stead. And uh, packing your gear and getting it all set and laid out. Early the day before, so if you have forgotten something, you've still got a chance to get it. You don't want to nothing worse than rushing around the dark as you're trying to get out the door to the race to find your missing stuff. Um, interesting one here. How do you regain motivation after underperforming during a training session? Um, for me, I reckon this is an uh, this, this is uh, the first thing is don't stress about one or two sessions. Uh, you want to be looking at the pattern rather than individual events and you remember a lot of our training is done without rest without taper in amongst our day-to-day life so you know we're not always gonna get it right in terms of our hydration and our energy we're not always gonna be able to train on a nice cool you know morning when we're all fresh and ready to go so sometimes the reason your training session isn't so good is it's been a hard day at work Uh, You haven't eaten enough you might have you know Trained the day before, you've got a late night, all sorts of things happening. So part of the whole idea with training is just to get through the sessions. And you will some days feel fantastic, and other days you, you won't. But the training program is designed so that when you taper, when you've done all the work, you you're there to come good on race day, not to peak on training night number thirty-two.
0: Yeah, spot on. It, it's very hard because sometimes mentally we do beat ourselves
1: up uh,
0: unnecessarily for these things, but keeping it focused on the big goal of what your ultimate training goal is um, and not being 100% beautiful and perfect on each of your training sessions.
1: Okay, last last question on the, the pre or the training side. Any other general training tips or guidance for pre-marathon training? Uh,
0: yeah, look, I think the one of the, the big ones uh, is uh, making sure that you've practiced your race day. And that includes the gear you're going to wear, what you're going to eat the night before or the morning of, um, what nutrition you're going to use during the event, so that you're really covered. There's going to be not going to be a surprise. It's not. To, it's not the night to the night before to try something particularly new. But if you've practiced all those things, then it eliminates them from worry. Just being part of the concern.
1: So practicing that, uh, tr- I think trusting your body. You know, if you're sick or you're injured, you need to. come to grips with that and just get it fixed and attended to. Missing a session or two because you're injured or might be getting injured is going to be much better than pushing through and getting well and truly injured. Uh, Nothing new on race day, I think, is another one. Mm. Uh, And The other question that comes up here a lot is uh, in terms of uh, the music versus non-music. Well, you know, we're not fans of running with music. We find it dangerous. Every weekend we're running into people who aren't following race director directions or aren't hearing volunteers and it's just it's a mess but a lot of people love it and it gets them through their training and if it gets them out there and it gets them doing it versus not then that's cool be wary of the safety um, and probably the the lesson here or the the thing that really sticks for me ultimately is that when we talk to the elite runners then some of them some of them might use music on the occasional session but it gets in the way of them actually hearing and understanding and performing at their best because it it takes away them being in touch with their body so Mm -hmm. if you want to ultimately perform at your best then music's not going to help it might get you to a place where you can go on to that level but ultimately it's it's, it's a fair bit to suggest it's going to hold you back ultimately yes okay Um, on the day right it's marathon day Um, Again, we'll come back to the, this question of the mental preparation uh, how do you get ready for race day and I think so it's it's pretty much the same as we talked about with the training it's your it's your vision it's visualizing yourself finishing it's why are you doing it it's working through your strategy your race plan the different scenarios it's knowing you know you've got all bases covered when something happens um, you're prepared and often all the things you are prepared for you really have to use them but you know when you do um, and it's your milestones of breaking it down. You know what I want to do for the first, you know, K, the first five, the first ten. Uh, that that sort of milestones, and it's all part of your strategy. So I think they're the the key bits for preparing for your race day and getting out there and enjoying it. The next question is, um, what time or how far in advance should you arrive at the start? What are you, what's your thoughts on getting there pre-race rituals?
0: I think the big thing about going into your event is being calm. And being feel, feeling as though you've got plenty of time, so part of that fits in with rising, getting up out of bed about two hours before your marathon, at least two hours before your event. Arriving at the venue, allowing yourself plenty of time, sort of maybe about an hour, uh, depending on conditions, traffic, you know that sort of issue, what how busy it's going to be having some warm clothes to make sure that you're not shivering and losing energy before the start, of course. And the big one is just allowing enough time for all of these things to to be comfortable at the venue. And including that, that includes a warm-up. If you are the type that would like to go for a short jog, do some stretching routines, it's allowing enough time for your rituals, whatever they may be. And if it, it does mean that you get up three hours before the event, because that's what you need to do, so be it. Just being non-stressed.
1: Yep. I think that you're right. It's just Don't be late is the key critical thing. Give yourself some extra time and uh, be you know, with the warm gear so that if you do have to wait around a little bit, you're better to wait around peacefully than to be stressed trying to find a park and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, next question then is in terms of your fueling so uh, what do you uh, take with you to eat or drink during a, a race and, and during a marathon and you know how does that work so probably the, the first thing we want to say is that if we'd answered this question two years ago we would have said uh, we would have given the sort of the, the genuine or the recommended carbo loading strategy um, nowadays some people were working on this fat adapted versus carbo reliant so uh, For most people, the the carbs, uh, the energy thing is the way to go. Um, First, before we get into the specifics, the key bit here is that you're going to, as much as possible on race day, do exactly what you've done in your long run training. So that's that's the first bit, it's what you've practised. The kinds of things that you're going to use uh, and how often would be?
0: Oh, again, look, the recommendation is if you go purely by the books is one energy gel every 45 minutes if you're a gel person uh, but you might also use uh, other foods such as bananas muesli bars snakes meaning lollies um, and I think the big one is taking a lot of people are using fluid carbohydrate drink fluids um, as their chief energy source not tacking, tackling the solid food at all um, but merely using drinks that are supposed to compensate for all of the energy requirements. And that's becoming increasingly popular too.
1: So you can sort of be looking at, at that sort of two to three hundred calories per hour as the most that, that the body can take in, depending mm. on your size and shape. And so um, they're the kinds of things which are going to help you there. Um, some races, they're going to have a lot of that stuff provided. Others, you're going to have to bring almost all of it and carry it. Uh, always good to not rely on other people for everything. So. You know if they say they're going to have bananas or other types of food then work on the basis that maybe they will but what if they don't and mm. so um, a bit of your own stuff for emergencies is, is handy to, to come along with muesli bars another one that I uh, get a lot of value out of um, what happens if you injure yourself during the race uh, how do you deal with that? Do you, is it game over? Do you give up? What's, what's the story?
0: Well, the first one depends on the seriousness of the injury. If you've torn a muscle, if you've slightly strained a muscle, if you've twisted an ankle slightly and it's impeding your running a little bit but not preventing you from running. Uh, in other words, the pain level is not such that you have to stop. Um, each injury needs to be assessed on its own merits. I think is where this one goes. Yep,
1: I think a general guide is if 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 you think you're going to risk long term injury or,
0: or the level of pain, or other consequences, is,
1: yeah. or, or or even risking your life, then stop medical tent. Stop. Mm. Um, if you went into a an event with an injury, then you want to. Spoken to your therapist about how you're going to deal with that. What's the consequences of running and continuing to run? Uh, But for a lot of a lot of the times, you're going to get cramps. You might get nausea. You might get sore legs. You might just have a bit of a fall. Maybe a few cuts, but nothing broken. That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, When all of those kinds of things happen to me, the, the general concept is well, you know, a bit of a walk break. You're a long time out of the game. So maybe it's a walk break, maybe it's some extra fuel, maybe it's slowing down a bit, maybe it's just going into the medical tent and getting something for a blister or a chafing or something. A lot of the things which actually occur during the race, as injuries or so-called physical challenges, can be dealt with, overcome, and 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 left on. You want you really want to think twice about stopping because you've got a you know uh, a cramp or one of those things uh, because you you, know, you get you're a long time sitting back afterwards saying oh if only I'd finish whereas yeah. you walk for a couple of minutes yeah you might be 20 minutes half an hour slower but you're still going to get there um, again it depends on your philosophy a lot of the super fast elite people they go flat yeah, out yeah. and if they get an injury and they have to stop and it means that let's well, end of getting the time that they wanted then they stop and they're happy with that so again it's a it's a personal thing too in terms of a, are you prepared to get a DNF or are you not so you know we're people who DNF is the, the last resort yeah, you know, would do anything to not get a DNF. But others, it's like, oh well, I missed my goal, I can't can't achieve it, I'm out of here.
0: Well, another question, the aspect of this question is, if it's during the race, this is the big one, this is the race you've been training for six months for. Do you walk it into the finish to to satisfy yourself that you've completed? So it, yeah, the the priority
1: of That's the That's a race. personal choice. Do you mm. want to, you know, do you have a problem with giving up? Uh, not finishing or do you want
0: to
1: mm. go ahead? Again, again, all that's in the context of if it's going to be life or, oh, or death definitely. or risking you know, being out running for long periods of time, then that becomes a much easier decision. Um, next question here is uh, how do you pace yourself to avoid starting too quickly?
0: Well, so keeping it focused on what your strategy is for the race um, and sticking to it Is again the big factor is having a strategy about what you're going to do and keep checking your times at the different kilometer breakdowns for the start if we're talking about starting too quickly um, just monitoring and if it's way off what you anticipated your pace would be there's no point continuing on at this pace because you haven't trained for that Um, there's no way you can sustain it like you might think your body's going really well at the moment but if it's not what you've trained for then you won't be able to sustain
1: it. So practicing your starting is a good thing to do. Uh, running your own race and mm-hmm. then checking your time at the one, two, yeah. three, and five k, I think, is for the marathon is a good way to keep it in track. Now mm-hmm. the other side of this question is, what happens if it's very crowded and you get way behind? Then I think the simple answer is, look to catch it up in small bits per kilometer, not all at once, because if you go and you know if you've trained for five minute kilometers and your your first ones. Five and a half, and a half and your second one's five and a half then if you try to run a four to get back on your even then that's likely to blow up and you know cause you all sorts of grief later on so pick it up gradually rather than than too quickly Uh, 42k or 26 miles is a long way there's a lot of opportunity to catch up if you've lost a little bit at the start Uh, so so in terms of keeping well hydrated what are your thoughts here
0: well pre-race hydration is probably more important in a way than during the race hydration and that's by gradual sipping over a couple of days before your event rather than uh, trying to swallow two liters the night before Um, one it makes you sleepless overnight potentially there are lots of getting up toilet breaks during the night but also scientific evidence proves that it's just not as well absorbed through our bodies so that's the first big one is I think the next yes. bit
1: is uh is drinking to thirst is a good guide. Um I think I think I read somewhere not long ago, you know, uh, it's it's almost unheard of for anyone to, you know, die or get into severe problems for under for high, for dehydration during a marathon. But you can overhydrate, you can drink too much. So drinking to thirst is a guide. And in terms of what to actually drink, well, you know, you can easily run marathons just drinking water. It's a safe Uh, sort of universal approach and if you train for that 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 works nicely. Um, You do find that if you're running internationally or in different cities and states sometimes getting the electrolyte that you've been used to is not so easy but similarly electrolytes work for a lot of people and in some races you know soft drink can can help Um, and so it's more for the ultras probably but it can assist you there. bit of a different question, something that we don't get that often but it but it certainly for the big races applies is some people feel claustrophobic in crowds. What advice do you have for overcoming this?
0: Well, if you do feel claustrophobic in crowds and it's a major, major problem for you, perhaps choose smaller races that have got less of that claustrophobic feeling about them and also then once the race starts it's not just the first kilometer that you um it it'll only be the first few hundred meters that you have to deal with big crowds because of course will naturally just disperse people wide apart by the time you get to 510k um, and that's going to be a much more comfortable experience. Maybe as you start to deal with, if you are very claustrophobic and you get more confident within yourself and your own running, you can deal with the crowds better, but initially just choose some smaller races and get more confident within yourself.
1: And when it's extra crowded you can and you're right at the very front, you can expect to go a bit slower because mm-hmm. one of the things that happens at these uh, big events is that people line up faster than they should, so you've got to you know, pass people that should be behind you, and so that slows you down. So if you're if you're somebody who is extra claustrophobic, then you know be prepared for the fact that you're likely to run into people who um, shouldn't you know in the first five or ten k who really should be have been behind you so that's that's part of the challenge uh, running to the side of the road can often be easier running but brings with it some challenges sometimes in terms of you know gutters or curbs or you know, trees or other types of obstacles so uh, I think you're right So, mm. avoid them if, you, if it's a real problem for you yeah. uh, next uh, next question here in terms of the race is advice for pushing it through the wall
0: well some of us have never actually experienced the wall and It can be a mental barrier that you've established through your training, that you've only taken yourself to 30, 32 kilometres and mentally you've set yourself well, oh I've never gone this far before, I'm into unknown territory. Um, But it can be being prepared for where your particular wall is um, by training for it. I've got a particular wall about 28k that mentally, that then for me is a difficult period of time and by training for it and being prepared for it I cope with that much better
1: I think the simple principle here is um, yeah you, you can't expect to race dramatically quicker than you've trained for and so I if I if I've trained for a four-hour marathon and I go out and run a, uh, at four-hour pace then I'm unlikely to see the wall you know maybe if I'm sick or I've done something wrong I might but if I if I run for the pace that I've trained for and done the training at no wall but if I've trained for a four-hour marathon and I go out and run at three-hour marathon pace, then there's going to come a point where, bang, you know, the wall comes into play. So uh, the best way to avoid the wall is to, to run at the pace you've trained for. Um, other techniques using walk breaks, um, just you know, mentally okay. I could have to slow down a bit here. I might have a bit of extra energy. Yeah, I was going to um, say the energy
0: is a big one for me. That it's uh, just restaking, even psychologically. I've taken on some energy. It's going to give me some energy, and maybe that does help you too.
1: So, um, if you've done all you can physically, then work the mental side in terms of you know next pole, next person, the old lasso around the person in front to catch up. Those things can help you keep on going. Uh, last question here in terms of race day anything else that you would suggest that people consider for their marathon race day
0: Oh, big one is to follow your race plan sometimes for whatever reason we hear someone tell us something that makes us doubt ourselves um, it, you know sometimes you you prepare this race plan and suddenly you throw it out the window so follow and stick with your race plan even if you feel better than you thought you would on race day and you think oh, I can go faster yep. Stick to what the plan is, what you've trained for.
1: Those ideas that people give you in the last
0: few Uh weeks or on the
1: day that you know they're ones to sock away and put into your after-action review. You might change your plan next time, but not today because today you haven't prepared for it. Uh, So nothing new unless desperate. So I think I think it's never do anything new on race day. But if you're down and out and you've got no other options. Uh, this is where the desperate comes into play yeah, maybe so, that
0: extra that Panadol tablet or something that you've never actually taken before in training it's worth a try it's yeah, not you're, gonna hurt
1: you're really you know you've, you mm. have hit the wall you're in all sorts of strife uh, you don't know what to do and someone says oh well, here's a bottle of coca-cola Oh, well, but I've never had one in training Correct. I won't have it well that could be the desperate stakes where the, the coca-cola might might work um, but it's a general principle do that and I think the last thing in terms of race day is just keep moving and uh, no matter how slowly um, time takes on a different dimension during a marathon and if you if you if you slow down you think oh I'm going like almost in slow motion but you'd be surprised that um, how quickly you'll get to the finish by brisk walking Mm -hmm. uh, in the last 10k mixing it up with running when you can and the next thing you know you'll be at the finish so if you sit down you'll never get there if you keep moving you'll always get there okay that's the race day now post-race a couple of quick questions here to finish up with um, what should you do after the race uh, how do you effectively cool down
0: and this is forgetting water and nutrition for the moment yes mm-hmm. often we feel like we just want to lie down and just drop to the ground but we are better off to keep walking to keep moving to keep blood flow circulating through our muscles so that's probably the first one is uh, and that can be later in the day as well as part of our ongoing recovery and uh long long term for the day cool down process is to perhaps go out for a couple of kilometers of walking so walk is the big one uh probably should mention i mean it it, it is not necessarily um, part of this question but hydration and food are important sometimes we don't feel like eating but the best food combination of some sort of carbohydrate with some protein to help rebuild the muscles and no matter whether we think we've hydrated well during the event we are going to be in a state of hi- dehydration so might not feel like it but we do need to focus on rehydrating okay
1: so oh, you wouldn't need to be careful here. if we have overhydrated during the race we don't want to, we we need to watch that
0: Yes, oh, for during the race if you've overhydrated.
1: Um, sh- I think a shower is always a good thing. So, it's like a clean body and uh, clean clothes can help. Just help you get walking, and sometimes actually, if it's been a particularly wet day or something, a shower can almost wash away some of the soreness. Um, compression tights are a good thing to to get into. Often can assist with your recovery, as is continuing the walking. Mm. So, so not just. In the period straight after the race, but you've showered, you've compressed, you've refueled, um, and then a bit of a w- an afternoon walk or evening walk, depending it doesn't on. Doesn't have the to time. be a
0: power walk or anything like that. It's just moving around your body.
1: Okay, now the next is so the next question, but it flows on from here: is uh, what types or amounts or, or kinds of things would uh, you eat and drink after a race in order to sort of restock the body and and um, enhance your recovery
0: I think one of the first things that we often go to and this is personal opinion of what we do as well as advice for other runners is we're very keen to have fruit and that can be from the hydration aspect of watermelon uh, orange segments those fruits that give us uh, a feeling of hydration again as well as a little bit of sugar and carbohydrate and they're often easy to digest Bananas, those sort of foods that have got some potassium in them as well. So fruit can be a great go-to immediately after your event because it is easy to digest. It's a natural food source. But then we start to think about, well, protein is something we need to work on, rebuilding our muscles after the work we've done. And uh, another concept for that, which a lot of... ..is getting into one of the milk protein products whether that's a soy protein drink, a pre-mixed drink, uh, whether it's your good old flavoured milk drink that has got the protein and the carbohydrate as well. Um, Often cool drinks are particularly craved, as is salt, and a lot of runners are really keen on whether it's a ginger beer, whether it's a cold Coca-Cola um, it can be the bubbles as well that's going to settle your stomach. So cool drinks are often very required. And salt can range from quite a lot A lot of people like potato crisps, and that's packet potato crisps, or even uh, we've known quite a few runners to like to get some french fries or fried potato chips as being a big favourite.
1: Uh, and last but not least to i think is is worth mentioning the the alcohol you know you've run your first marathon and celebrating with a few beers or some wine or some champagne or whatever else is is uh you know, it's what's what's got you over the line it's your big treat um the I think the the comment here is not should you or should you not? it's just being aware that in the period straight after the race, then you might be a bit more susceptible, so if you're usually a a six can Uh, A six can man straight after the marathon then three might put you into a bit bit less sober than you might otherwise be used to so it can knock you about a bit more and secondly that the alcohol will increase the bleeding in the muscles that that are damaged and so it will slow down your recovery and so if that's if your speed of your recovery is crucial then don't have any any, uh, alcohol if you say well who cares another day or two of of uh, of Pain after the race from soreness. I've worked hard for this. I'm going to celebrate. Then go for it. So, um, not saying whether you should or shouldn't, but just be mindful of the consequences, one way or the other. Uh, okay. Um, on a different tack, how do you handle a bad race time? Um, and, and then any. No, first of all, how do you handle a bad race time?
0: I think it's a real trap. For people to put all of their eggs in one basket to just have this is my only race this is the only thing in my running life that matters to me good to have multiple goals a couple of other options open to you
1: so things beyond your control crowds wind heat uh, rain severe temperatures miss miss measured courses Uh, Taking a wrong turn. There's all these things that can happen Mm -hmm. So if if it's all about the time and all of those things come into play
0: You know more hilly
1: than you expected etc Secondly is it's a great learning experience So if you've trained for if you've done everything that you could to get your time and you don't get it Then ask yourself why Um, you can learn but sometimes it's just a simple matter of building up experience You're going to be stronger and faster for next time and so put it in that context I like your idea so having you know, different goals uh, and recognizing the context of your achievement regardless of the the time that, that you're doing so yeah, learning and putting it in context is critical uh, the next bit is the post-race blues mm-hmm. uh, particularly after the marathon and particularly after in your early days of marathons it can be you know, months of work huge uh, high as you cross the line and and the, in the days after and then If it's been a Sunday race, I think the the common thing is by about Thursday, Friday, can be into the blues. How do you overcome that?
0: Create another goal. I think uh, to move on and have something, it doesn't have to be running related. It could be another goal uh, to give yourself something to work towards. Um, Big one rather than just nothing in front of you have something set
1: it doesn't have to be running no
0: this was said it doesn't have to be dropping running a project yep yeah yep.
1: uh, okay if it is running um or even if it isn't running but you just want to get back to your running as your fitness um how long before you get back to running after you have run a marathon oh,
0: a lot depends on your level of experience and your goals as well if you gave all 100 percent in an event and it really knocked you around you're asking for trouble like even if you're an experienced runner coming back the next week
1: so often if if, if you're a, a relatively new or you've gone for the big one then a, a simple guide that we use is uh, walking for a couple of days a couple of days without running maybe Thursday Friday you might be back to what we might call jogging uh, just mm. gentle maybe 10k the following week <coughs> maybe not if you're still feeling tired sore fatigue not interested just leave it it'll the body will tell you when you're ready Uh, two weeks after then you know you might be 15 20k probably you want to leave at least a month before you get back into serious training Uh, just run for fitness and enjoyment through that period and uh, again in your early days you're probably looking four to five months until your next marathon race bit.
0: and that's the difference is a race as opposed to your training. Now
1: as you're more experienced, you have different goals, your body's blown up, you've got and you and you've developed different goals, then you can certainly do quicker. And there we you know, people who'll do marathons every weekend, people who'll do marathons two days in a row or more. Um, if you're training for an Ultra, then the marathon becomes a step up to that. So you might be running, you know, hundred K every six months in a race And then you might be running a couple of marathons week in week out to do that so the context changes there. Um, I think we're on to our last question Sue and that is basically anything else that you would suggest in terms of post-race recovery or maybe a summary of what we have talked about.
0: Yeah I think to do the summary of what we have talked about is uh, keeping moving after you cross the line for a while so it's the immediate fairly active cool down rather than recovery I suppose cool down but then starting to move on to the food and energy replenishment as being a big one Um, compression is something that we found to be very handy cold water and icing is now one of those things that's a little bit uh, we have some on one side of the fence some on the other side of the fence so again potentially it's what works for you but then coming back to the mobility keeping yourself moving it doesn't have to be stretching is mobility but keeping yourself moving to keep flushing through the lactic acid out of your muscles and that's for the 24 hours after the race even
1: okay yeah so any any closing thoughts here on uh, training for the marathon the one the one that I ha- have uh, it's kind of it's a bit of a summary but it capsules it all and that is you really want to be thinking about your, why are you running the race and how does that impact on your longer term vision and goals. And so we often, people will do things like they'll overtrain, they'll run with an injury, they'll do all sorts of things in the moment for this race and they then risk you know, long periods of not being able to run and in some cases lifelong injuries and, and or and or loss of motivation and enjoyment. So you need to balance the pushing through pain and and those kinds of things with the context of hey i want to be doing this for the long term and so our approach i think is very much of uh, at this stage is we want to be running fit and strong and healthy and doing the events that we like even if they're going to be a bit slower than we maybe could so that we can be doing them for the next 10 20 30 40 50 years so that's the balance and so sometimes if we're we maybe we could run with an injury but we don't want to risk not being able to run at all, then we back off. And so that that balance of when to push versus when to be looking at your long-term sustainability I think is important. Yes. A lot of people uh, regret pushing and doing things that create long-term injuries uh, because they can't run at all.
0: Mm. I think it is... You
1: don't end up riding a bike.
0: I think you're right. It's one of the uh, things that comes potentially with experience, with knowledge, uh, long-term, that
1: a weakness. Is not
0: the end of the world for your running
1: okay so that's uh, some questions on the training the running and the recovering from a marathon I hope that was helpful And the oh, we'll have that transcribed and that'll be available on the website in a couple of weeks at time okay almost the end of another show the road ahead join us as we take a quick peek at a few of next weekend's running events
0: Valentine's Day weekend coming up. So the uh, Saturday is February the 14th, which is Valentine's Day. So a couple in recognition of that, a couple of marathons out there, love.run.marathon in Texas and the Valentine's Marathon in the UK. But other races this weekend are Bulla Gorge in New Zealand, recommended as one of the most scenic marathons in new zealand ekaterinburg winter marathon in russia mississippi river Rosig marathon in namibia uh, the woolly trail in the usa this next race uh close to many people's hearts the 26.2 with donna Um, big sponsor jeff galloway of this event in florida raising funds for breast cancer research is a huge event there Wishing them all the best, raising money for that. Austin in Texas. The Burschliker Straßenlaufer in, well, you guessed it, Germany. Birch Bay in the USA. Buzz Marathon in California. Five Points of Life in Florida. Fort Eby in USA. Fort Lauderdale A1A. Really a scenic race down there also in Florida. Hardmore's 26.2 in the UK. The Hudson Mohawk Winter Marathon. Arizona. In Glendale. Our friend Jane is off to run Kyoto uh, in Japan next weekend. One race that we have run um, in years gone by, the Lost Dutchman out of Apache Junction in Arizona. A fabulous race, that one. The Di San Valentino, and I don't know that it is actually based on Valentine's Day, but maybe it is, in Italy. Myrtle Beach in South Carolina, Napoli City. Okinawa, marathon in also in japan paradise coast in florida the rogue yeti heartbreak marathon in georgia sabamati in india senshu international marathon in japan washington's birthday in the usa and the winterman marathon in canada and also on the australian race calendar not much happening this weekend we've noticed it was a very quiet weekend yes. this weekend if you want to run a marathon in australia
1: so thanks for tuning in folks uh, great to be Back on the air, thanks Sue and uh, we'll see you next week on the Partner Running Show You're listening to the Partner Running Show with your hosts, Couple on the Run Sue and Andrew O'Brien proudly brought to you by PartnerRunning.com and the Partner Runner magazine